Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah audio podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. To find out more information about Life Church, please check us out at lifechurchutah.com. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can do so by going to our website or by texting the word LC Give to 95577. Um, hey, we're right in the middle of our uh, of our series called Zero to Hero. And as already has been asked uh, today, how many heroes do we have in the house today? Maybe by the end of service, we'll get a little more force out of that. So, because <laughs> I think God wants us all to be heroes. So, but it's uh, really, really wonderful to have you with us uh, today. And uh, I know if uh, you're visiting, there's lots of, lots of opportunities for you to uh, be at other churches. And so, uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, being here today. Really a welcome, a warm welcome from the Life Church family. My name is Rich. I'm the pastor here. And uh, just uh, great to have you. Uh, so today we're going to be, uh, well, today, this uh, message today is uh, Zero to Hero and going to be talking about when no one is looking, uh, what does it mean to have a life of integrity? And so we're going to be digging into that. Next week, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a hero in generosity? And as soon as I say the word generosity, you might think I'm going to be talking about uh, finances. And you would be right to think that because we're going to be talking about finances, but we're going to be talking about a whole lot more when it comes to generosity. How, how are we generous in our forgiveness? How are we generous in, uh, in giving ourselves to other people? And how are, we, uh, how are we generous, obviously, in our finances? So that's all going to be tied in together. Very excited about next week. And then we kind of wrap up our series on January 27th, uh, finding out how to be a hero in serving. And there's going to be an opportunity for everybody in the house uh, to, uh, to kind of sign up and be a part of the ministries here at Life Church Utah. And, uh, and just ways for you to get connected, to, to put the gifts and the talents and the treasures that you have on display so that we can be a ministry not only to uh, be ministering not only to those who call Life Church Utah their home, uh, but also those who are outside the four walls of this church building uh, to minister to them as well. And so be, I'm really looking forward to that. But today we're talking about zero to hero when no one is looking. And have you ever seen the movie uh, Secret Life of Pets? All right, so there that is right there. Secret Life of Pets. And when no one is looking, the pets uh, begin to, like, what, rule the world and uh, save the world from sure destruction, right? That becomes when no one is looking. And uh, so that's, that's exciting. You might be more familiar with this one right here. Uh, you got Buzz and Woody. How many of you were, when you were growing up, fans of of like Buzz Lightyear when you were growing up as if some of you were really, really. Anyway, uh, <laughs> my son, I mean, this was like Buzz Lightyear was, was his guy when he was just a, just a wee little lad, right? That was uh, that thing. And so when, in Toy Story, whenever, uh, whenever the, um, the humans would leave the area, what would happen to the toys? They would come alive, right? When no one was looking, these toys would come alive. Other toys come alive in movies, this one's a little scarier. Yeah, that, yeah, we don't want that. That's Chucky. Yeah, that comes alive. Whole other kind of coming to life. Yeah, cross that out. Go back one slide here so we don't have to look at him anymore. So, <laughs> right? And so in a weird sort of way, this is exactly opposite of the point today. And, uh, and that is um, when no one is looking, they do something different than what it is when people are watching them. And I think God has called us to something different. I think God has called us that when people are watching us and when no one is looking at us, we should be the same. Every bit of our lives should be the same, right? We don't uh, change ourselves 
necessarily in order to, to meet or in order to fit in to certain things. And so Buzz, Lightyear, and Woody, they are more than just dolls and Chucky, <laughs> uh, more than just a doll. And uh, when no one is looking, they change. But when it comes to our superheroes, uh, we've got you know, Clark Kent and Superman and, and the others. They have got their, their non-superhero identity. And then in reality, what they do is they, they put on the costume and they put on the robe or whatever it is, and they become something else. I think God wants us to be heroes when no one is looking, but that we are the same across the board, that our integrity, our life, what we believe doesn't change based on where we are. And last week, we talked about the, what it means to be a hero in our faith, and we uh, looked at the life of Gideon. And God spoke into Gideon something that God saw that at the beginning, Gideon didn't see it. And he said to Gideon, Gideon, almighty oh, man of valor. I want to do something in your life. I want to make you a hero. And I think God does the same thing for us. And there's got to be that integrity between all parts of our life. And so what is integrity? Integrity is the state of being whole or undivided. The state of being whole or undivided. This definition is something that needs to be etched on our hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirits. Uh, we are to be this kind of people. We are to be the people who are the same no matter where we are. Have you ever been with somebody who is not that? that? That with one group of people, they're a certain way, and another group of people, they're like exactly the opposite. Raise your hand real quick. Can you point to somebody? No, don't do that. All right, okay. <laughs> don't want to do that. Well, there's a movie. You might be familiar with it, um, Avengers Infinity War. It's kind of a small movie that came out just a little while ago. And uh, in there, there are two characters, uh, well, many, many characters, but two of them I want to talk about. I'll show you a clip here in just a second. There's a guy by the name of Quill, who's part of the uh, Guardian of the Galaxies, and he's kind of this strange human guy. He's got some strange powers, but he's not, um, not always, he doesn't have like this deep voice, big commanding voice, right? Um, but in this one scene, he tries to make himself something that he's not when he's talking to Thor. And if you don't know Thor, you know, got ancient mythology, but you got Thor, who is this uh, kind of half God, half man thing. It's the movies, okay, folks? Um, but in this moment, what I want you to see is, is Quill, acting with integrity. Watch this clip. Uh, what are you doing? Taking your pod. <clears throat> no, you're not. You'll not be taking our pod today, sir. Uh, well, are you making your voice deeper? No, you are. You're imitating the godman. Oh, not. <gasps> he just did it again. This is my voice. Are you mocking me? Are you mocking me? Stop it. You just did it again. He's trying to copy me. Yeah, just stop Enough. It. He's doing it first. We Do you know people like that, though, that are like one way with one group of people and one way with another group of people? Doesn't it drive you nuts, right? And you're going, why can't you just be the same everywhere? Speaking of trying to be the same everywhere, uh, this whole idea of integrity, um, boy, trying to impress on the first date. <laughs> Have you ever been on a first date before? Are you really giving all of your life and every bit of yourself in that first date? No. <laughs> if you do, you'll chase most people away, and if you don't, I'm not sure what that says about the person you're dating, but you know, okay. So... 
in this moment, like a life of integrity, right? Your first date, you want to have, you want to start off this relationship with integrity. And uh, it reminds me of our first date for Shelly and I. Um, she, she asked me out on a date. It was girl asked guy out for, at Central Bible College. And Spinster Spree, was that what it was called or something like that? And she asked me out and I gladly said yes. And uh, little did I know though that that meant I would be kidnapped, which I was kidnapped by four friends, I, well, friends, right? Uh, they kidnapped me, duct taped me, threw me in the back of a car, and uh, drove me somewhere that I didn't know and blindfolded me. And uh, so I get to the state park that comes, that's very important here in just a moment, get to the state park, and um, they, they take me out of the car and have me walk through the woods, and then I finally make it to this place, and they, they, they kind of force me to kneel down. I'm like, this is it. I'm dead. This is it. I, I, life is over. And uh, so Shelly takes, uh, takes the hood off of my, my head. I'm sure if anybody was watching this from a distance, this would have been really, this is like phone call, 911, we got an issue in the state park. And uh, she take, takes off the hood, and, and I realize I'm, I'm in a park, and, and she's got a, a wonderful little fire going, and, you know, kind of a, a nice, little, nice little moment there. And uh, then she takes the duct tape off, which was on my arms and the hair. It was just super fun. And... Um, <laughs> She told me to wear long sleeves. I'm like, why do I need to wear long sleeves? Well, the sleeves pulled up because I've got really long, like, monkey arms and whatever. Okay, and um, so anyway, so, so we're there, and, and I'm, I'm talking. She has, a, I think, takeout Chinese, if I remember correctly, or something like that. And so we're sitting there and eating, and I'm, and I'm thinking to my and asked her, I said, um, I, I don't think you're supposed to have a fire in a state park. I, I don't think that's legal. And besides, you don't even have it in a fire pit. I mean, it was just it was really funny. And uh, she goes, I don't know. And, you know, wanting to be people of integrity, following the law, wanting to, our, our relationship to get off on the right foot. Then I see off in the distance a pickup truck that was, you know, like the Forest Service or something like that comes closer to us. And, and in that moment, we're, we're like, okay, what do we do? We could run. That would be one thing. We chose not to run. Instead, we tried to just sit in front of the fire as if that would hide the smoke that was coming up out of the fire. And uh, the guy comes up to us and says, uh, you realize it's not legal to have a fire in the state park. See, I told you. And, um, and, you know, so we quickly put the fire out. And I think we vacated relatively quickly right after that and finished the, uh, finished the date elsewhere. Uh, we wanted to start off our relationship with integrity, not breaking the law. So... Uh, Shelly, you were really, really close to breaking the law in that moment, so. <laughs> Another area of integrity, if you want to appear that you have funds that you don't really have, that's called debt, <laughs> isn't it? Hidden habits and addictions on the outside, it all looks good, but on the inside, there's a hot mess going on. <laughs> and there's all of those things that just don't line up with what you say uh, they're supposed to line up with. So we must keep in mind that our lives, both the private aspect of our lives as well as the very public part of our lives, that we are responsible for both of them. That every bit of our lives, we're responsible for them, the things that people see and the things that people don't see in our lives. So how are we heroes even when no one sees us? Well, there are a couple of warnings that Jesus gives uh, in the New Testament as he's talking the book of Luke. Uh, first one's in Luke chapter 8, verse 17. He says this, and Jesus has this incredible way of getting right to the heart of the matter and speaking truth, even though sometimes it hurts. Have you ever had somebody tell you the truth and it hurts a little bit when they tell you that? This is the case here. He says this, no one after lighting a lamp hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to light. That's a tough statement that Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is speaking of the absurdity of, of lighting something and then putting it in, in such a way as that you can't see the light. He goes, that, that's meaningless. It makes no sense. There's a purpose to the light, isn't there? A purpose to maybe bring hope or give direction or to, to let people know that this is a hospitable place. And so we turn the lights on, but then to hide it, it uh, speaks of a lack of integrity for the purpose of light. Then he, he makes the leap then from that physical into uh, those intangible things when he says, hey, whatever is secret will no longer be secret eventually. It's all going to come to light. When he speaks to a group of people that are uh, uh, known for their hypocrisy, he speaks of the Pharisees. And there's a large crowd of people that are gathered to hear Jesus. It seems like everywhere he went, people found out where he went, and, and a gr- big group of people would come there. And so the Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day, and they weren't always the best example for their followers. So in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, when the crowds gathered by the thousands so that they trampled on one another, he began to speak first to his disciples, those closest to him, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, that is their hypocrisy. And then something that sounds very familiar to what we just read. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. So what's happening behind closed doors in your life? It's a great question, isn't it? And I hope uh, you understand the weight of those things. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be negative. There are some times where there are those of you who hide your faith. And God says, hey, this secret faith you have, I want to be able to proclaim it from the, from the rooftops. I want to be able to let other people know, let there be integrity even in that direction of your life. Eventually, everything is uncovered. Everything is brought to light eventually. Everything is heard eventually. Who you are... <laughs> will come out. And I think it's one of the things, real quick, I didn't say this first service, but uh, just popped in my mind. Uh, the whole thing, and I think we understand this idea um, just through social media, because once you post it, it's out there. Once you post it, you don't get it back. You can try to delete it, but somebody's got it somewhere. It is there, and it'll become known. That's why when I post something, I am extremely careful to think through, okay, what does it say about me? What does it say about my relationship with Christ? Right? Those are the two things that I'm like, okay, God, how do I navigate all of this in my social life? So everything eventually will be uncovered. And eventually, <laughs> that word, we want that eventually to happen way down the road. Maybe even after we die, then they can figure out how I really was. But to be that hero when no one is looking, this is the challenge that Jesus wants us to take to heart. Light or dark, when people are looking or not looking, we should be the same. That's integrity. And so in the Old Testament, I want to go to the book of Daniel, and we're going to uh, talk about four different people that are uh, found in the book of Daniel. Um, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you might be familiar with them. But uh, real quick backstory, Israel had been uh, dominated again by a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and Babylon had been taken into exile. And uh, they're in captivity away from their land. They were conquered. And the way that Nebuchadnezzar would uh, kind of rule was he would go into a nation He would take all of the influential, all of uh, the royalty, all of those who were in authority, he would take them out of that nation, and uh, left behind would be those who were poverty-stricken, and then Nebuchadnezzar would bring some uh, some other nation, some other leaders to come and to lead that nation so that that nation identity eventually went away. 
And then those who were influential, those who were of royal birth and all of that, they would take them back to the headquarters uh, there in Babylon. And then those people would then be oppressed. They would not have authority any longer. But within this group of people, there were four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, those last three names you might better recognize as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their original names, their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these four were singled out when they got there to Babylon, and the king uh, basically wanted the best of the best, and so these four were found uh, to maybe be head and shoulders above the others, and there was some attribute about them that the king said, hey, we're going to train these guys and allow them to have some authority. So they get to this point where, uh, where the king says, all right, you're going to train them and you're going to give them the best food of all. The king's food is what you're going to serve them. That would be, you know, all the meats. It's like going to Redizio or something like that. Get all the meat you want. Get all the food you want, right? And uh, so here's the question. And this is the start of this, uh, this whole idea of the heroic within these four. Well, do you want to be a hero when no one is looking? The very first thing you need to do is live a life of courageous decisions. When I, when I say courageous decisions, I don't necessarily mean just to be courageous like uh, base jumping. Anybody ever done base jumping, by the way? You're nuts if you do, but, but that's, that's great uh, for you. Um, I am really good at base jumping on Steep. That's on PlayStation. It's a game that's on PlayStation. I'm really, really good at that. I can fly through the valleys and all. it's wonderful. But in real life, there's fear. So I'm going to be a man of integrity and let that fear bleed over, and I'm probably never going to base jump, just so everybody knows that. Um, That's not the courage that I'm talking about, the courage to jump off a mountain with or without a parachute, right? So I'm not talking about that, but there's something more about the courageous decisions that these four are having to make. So these four Hebrews knew something unknown to the Babylonians, unknown to those whose care they were under, unknown to the king. What seemed like a foolish decision became the decision that set them apart. We pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1. The king assigned them daily portions of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age, so that you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over him, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel, what are you thinking? (laughs) You got a chance to have steaks and all that. Uh, Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables for these four youths. Uh, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Courageous decision number one is not to partake of the good things that the world offers. And that's tough in our world because there's a lot of really good things. But some of the good things that the world offers have no help at all for our integrity when it comes to our faith. And we've got to be so careful in the things that we choose to do. And so this courageous decision for, uh, for uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this courageous decision set them apart. 
It also exposed them in their faith in that moment, and that's why it was so courageous. And then later, after these four were promoted, uh, they're coming up against further difficulties. In uh, Daniel chapter 3, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the really uncomfortable position where they're being asked to worship an image that Nebuchadnezzar had put up. And so it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And so they do that. They, they, they begin to let all of the music go out, and then the people, all the nations, they bow down and they worship this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, people saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't doing this, and so they reported to the king, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious. He's like, bring them to me. And he basically gives them another chance. I don't have time to read that this morning. Basically, he gives them another chance to worship and before, uh, before Nebuchadnezzar gives the uh, command so that the music and everything can start up, here's what they say back to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, if, if you throw us into the fire, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, in other words, but if we're thrown in, and even if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace and we die there, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Where did the strength come from for them? Where, where did this integrity come from for them. I think it came because no one was looking at them when they were worshiping God on their own, and they get to this point of public uh, declaration, it was no problem for them. So their integrity will speak for them. King is angered, incensed, he burns, or he orders that they're thrown into the fiery furnace, which they are thrown into the fiery furnace, and then this happens, verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. You realize they've thrown people into the fire before. They're used to this. This is not a big deal for them. Human life was relatively meaningless to them in a lot of ways, and they threw people in there, so they were used to this. He rose up, he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like, the, like a son of the gods. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and they didn't smell a fire. Nothing was singed on them. No hair was singed. Nothing, because God protected them in the midst of that fiery ordeal. Amen. That's a good, good thing. This whole idea of being a hero when no one is looking, it starts off with this courageous decision. 
to follow after the things God has called them to follow, and that is worship of him. So uh, this part of the courageous decision, don't be ashamed of your worship of God alone. Don't be ashamed of it. Heard a story recently of a, of a young girl by the name of Chloe. She's part of our, uh, part of our teens. And uh, she'd been struggling to, uh, uh, with a significant choice in her life as a teenager. Uh, she was involved in cheer both at school and then like a, a private cheer group that was uh, together. And she began to realize that, that she didn't like who she was when she was with the group that was the, that private cheer group. She, her self-esteem was very low and she found herself uh, in, a, in a position, uh, she just didn't like who she was becoming. And for a teenager who's in that world of cheer, hopefully, uh, adults, you're not too far removed from that teen life, you don't, I mean, that you understand how important these kind of decisions are to stay put. You've got that identity group that you are with. And she realized, however, that something was also happening to her faith. And she found herself struggling in her faith. And so she went to her parents and said, Mom, Dad, what should I do? And thankfully, her parents had the wisdom to respond to her and say, hey, let's see what God wants us to do in this situation. So start praying. And she writes, she says, I prayed for a whole week every day in the morning um, and then right before bed at night about the same thing, about what I should choose to do. She took very seriously uh, this decision. And a few days went by, I woke up one morning and suddenly felt in myself a direction I needed to go. And my parents asked me later uh, what my answer was. And I said wholeheartedly with God by my side that I was done with that, uh, that private cheer group because I was not happy with who I was becoming. And, and I love it that she made this incredibly courageous decision as a young teen girl whose identity potentially wrapped up in so many things that are on the external. There was something internal to her. She said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I love it. Her parents were surprised that she could make this kind of a decision. And then she says this. She says, uh, but I told them that I did it because God helped me. God explained to me that I should be, my, should, should be myself and not let other things in life cause me to be rude and stress me out all the time. I think some of us could probably uh, learn from that from the heart of a teenager, right? Uh, he said, God said that I should focus on him. And all I can say, it was the best decision of my life. And then she ends it with a heart emoji. <laughs> I think that's really cool, right? And so, so this is a young woman facing an incredibly difficult decision where she has to choose an identity that is outside what the world expects of her. And she said, I, I don't like who I'm becoming, and so I'm choosing to do what is right. And because of that, it freed up time, and she's involved in the youth ministry, and she's connected, and it's got, has that circle of friends now that are blessing and encouraging her. And I think that is a courageous decision. And so a second part of, of this whole idea of being a hero when no one is looking is we've got to live a life of consistent prayer. You see, Daniel now is in dire circumstances a couple of chapters later, and I'll just summarize. We've got a lot of scripture here, but um, uh, Darius now is in charge of this, uh, of this land, the Medo-Persian Empire, if you remember from your high school or college days, and uh, he had it in his heart to set up new leaders, and of those leaders, Daniel was potentially going to be the greatest of the leaders. But when that happens and somebody else gets a promotion, sometimes jealousy sets in on the part of the other leaders. And so these other leaders begin to find, try to find a way to trap Daniel, to find a, somewhere that they could trap him. They realize they couldn't find anywhere except for one place, and that was his faith. So they find this way to trap Daniel using his faith, and this is the key part of the hero when no one is looking when Daniel knew that a document had been signed, the document basically decreeing that no one for 30 days should worship anyone, no other gods except for the king himself. 
So Daniel, when he realized it had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by, by agreement, found Daniel making, uh, making prayer to some other God other than the king. And they go and report to the king like whiny brats, <laughs> right? And uh, so they go there, report to the king. The king has no option except to do what he said he would do to anybody who did this. And that is Daniel was going to be thrown into the, uh, to the lion's den. The king has no way to stop it, according to the laws. Now, the key part of this, though, is Daniel's story when we see integrity. Where do we see it? Daniel went to his room, faced Jerusalem, and prayed. Okay, now, in itself, that's not that big of a deal. How many of you in times of trouble and struggle in your life have prayed? Right? Hopefully some of you haven't raised your hand. You should raise your hand, right? Okay, all of us, I think, in moments, you know, getting ready, high school, getting ready for a test, right? And you're praying, oh, God, I didn't study. Give me divine wisdom, Lord, right now, okay? So we pray in those moments of, tr- of trouble and struggle. But the cool thing and the key here is, is it says he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is his life. This is the integrity of who he is with his relationship with God is he prays in trouble. He prays when there's no trouble. He prays when things are going great. He prays when things are falling apart. He prays when there are no weights in his life. He prays when there are weights bearing down on him. This is the secret to being a hero when no one is looking. Because I would like to say that I don't think you can be a hero when people are looking in this area of your life unless you're a hero when no one is looking when it comes to your prayer life. He had a consistent prayer life. So he prayed, but still he was thrown into the lion's den. How many of you have prayed in the midst of making a tough decision and then it still ends up different than what you had hoped it would, right? You're going, God, I know this is going to be different. Well, you end up getting thrown to the lion's den, right? So the king was upset that that happened, but he had no way to change it. At the break of day, the king arose, went in haste to the den of lions. He came near the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, notice even, uh, even the king saw that, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Maybe silence for a moment. And Daniel said to the king, O king, Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And the king was excited, and there was great rejoicing on the part of the king. Uh, those who threw him in there, uh, their lives ended up being forfeit. But, uh, but Daniel was saved out of the lion's den. So when you're a hero... When no one is looking, it's all about making courageous decisions when it comes to your faith. It's all about living a consistent prayer life. Then what happens? When when these things line up, what happens as we close out here? When you are a hero, when no one is looking, it leads to a life of cultural influence. So after uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were rescued from that fiery furnace, listen to what happened. And this is Nebuchadnezzar, the one who was saying, no, you've got to worship this, this, uh, this big statue that's put up. This is what the king says. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. 
any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is pretty tough, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That's the beginning of cultural influence because they made courageous decisions and they had consistency in their prayer and worship of God. And then what about Daniel in the lion's den? King Darius he writes to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never come to an end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions, right? So this is cultural influence happening because of courageous decisions and consistent prayer, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up as we close out. And I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here real quick. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.